0: I'm going to talk a little bit more about wrong view. So so far we've talked about mundane right view. So primarily it's common rebirth. <clears throat> and you think, well, what does rebirth have to do with life in the world? That's what the mundane is about. But. Um, the way we orient ourselves in this life and the way we operate in this life, if we have um, an understanding that there's something beyond this life, that's probably going to be different. And the other thing that I noticed, especially as people would come to me in crisis, my guide is the Buddha, so what did he do? When people came to him in crisis. And he invariably opened the scope away from this one incident to the much bigger picture. And I found even with people who aren't particularly Buddhist, to have the, to be able to step back and see a much longer view really helps. So, that really does have to do with with our life in this world, with our life in this lifetime. How do we meet these challenges that come, the loss or the shock or the big change that we didn't want, and uh, rebirth or the, the placement of this particular experience in the much broader understanding of lifetimes makes a big difference it also makes a big difference in regards to our um, encouragement and cultivation because sometimes we get to a point where we realize I'm not going to get it all done in this lifetime (laughs) and then it's helpful to know that there's more and that what we do here and now makes a difference, really it affects what that will be like later. So, um, this kind of does lead into some of the views that people can have that the Buddha considered to be wrong view. One of the views is annihilationism, So. A nihilism to think that when we die, that's just the end. The Buddha said his not just his idea, but his experience of being able to see past lives. He was able to understand that it doesn't end there. Um, sometimes, if we if we have the idea that this is the only life, even if we're encouraged to live a moral life because we see benefits in that we can also find a lot of examples where people seem to be really good people and they have major problems or people do a lot of bad things and they seem to never get any consequences so if we only look at this slice that's visible to us we can be mistaken about how it works And I think, you know, as I mentioned before, the challenge can be that we may not be able to see that for ourselves, at least not now, but there are a lot of people who do remember past lives and can see the the connection between what has happened before and how things are now. And then... Like with all of any of the other things that the Buddha taught about that we haven't experienced yet, taking them on a kind of provisional acceptance and allowing ourselves to notice the signs that might be kind of showing us that there was something before, even you know those feelings of meeting someone for the first time and having some sense of knowing them, um, some sense of I really feel close to this person or I want to stay away from this person and you don't have any any reason for that. That can be the beginning of kind of an opening to understanding uh, or even seeing sp- specific circumstances from the past. So um, annihilationism, was one of the things of course that people also believed at the time of the Buddha and um, he was very um, wasn't at all shy about letting, them, letting <laughs> saying that that was that was not the right that was not in accord with the reality of things <coughs> there's this stock text that you see repeated in the canon it's a little hard to understand just as it's written but it's There's nothing given, nothing offered, nothing sacrificed. There's no fruit or result of good or bad actions. There's no this world, no other world, no mother, no father, no beings who are reborn spontaneously. No Brahmins or contemplatives who, faring rightly and practicing rightly, proclaim this world and the next after having directly known and realized it for themselves. And one place you find this is in the Middle Length Discourses, Discourse One Ten. It's the shorter discourse on the Full Moon Night, and the Buddha is saying these are. This is some. This is a collection of beliefs that people had in that in the day, and that he felt were, well, he knew, were wrong, because of his experience. And this idea that nothing, nothing given, nothing offered, nothing sacrificed is the idea that. Even if you give generously to others, it doesn't have any good results. That was some people's belief. If you um, give to um, attained people, it doesn't have any good result. No point in any of that. No point in being generous. I think most of us have learned in our own lives that that's not the case. It, it, there is a benefit. Um, that if you if you do good things, there's no re- result from that. If you do bad things, there's no result from that. There there were people who believed that it didn't matter what you did, and the Buddha was clear that that's not the case. And he was also clear that there are people who practicing uh, rightly can, through their direct knowledge, declare this world and the other world as they are, as that as it was for him, himself, realizing it for himself. And that... Even the, the disciples of the Buddha who didn't develop psychic powers, the Arahants don't necessarily have psychic powers, but there's a, a wisdom... Factor that you can you know this is right. So there's um, that's those are the folks to rely on, <laughs> the ones who have seen it for themselves or have that um, deep realization of this is this is right. Another way that um, back in his back in the Buddhist time and also today people. Another belief is just straight up materialism. And materialism, without going into the, the real meaning of it, um, you know, is what I think we're doing all the time in this, in this culture. We're so focused on things. But actually, materialism as a philosophy is that this system is only made up of material elements. And it's, a, it's similar to annihilationism because when, it, when this body breaks up and dies, then nothing goes on. It's just this material thing. And um, there's a young man who comes to our Vihara who was raised in Russia, and this was the philosophy he was raised with. Nothing happens after this. This is all just processes and based on the material elements, the mind and the body. He doesn't really feel that way. But that's why he's showing up. <laughs> but it's an interesting um, worldview to try to work with. And it's not interesting because it's good. It's just really uh, so limiting. And one of the limitations is that there's no belief that we can know anything beyond this. So You don't even look for anything beyond this. You're not tuned in to um, noticing any kind of sense of something bigger. And so, um, again, this is a wrong view. Um, Denial of causality is another place people can get hung up Mm in that So the Buddha, as you know, we're going to get into the super-mundane. The super-mundane part of right view is basically the four noble truths and dependent origination. So when the Buddha said, his, his investigation was, okay, there's aging and death. What's the cause? And everything has a cause. And causes and conditions are what brings about everything. This is the Buddha's understanding. So denial of causality means it's all just random. There's no point in cultivating, there's no point in doing anything. And while we may think some of these things sound really unbelievable or ridiculous. Some aspects of it can seep into our way of thinking. We can also be disempowered feeling like I can't do anything uh, in some ways. But actually we probably have more options than we think that actually do really that actually do so, set in, in, in motion a course that brings about results. Even in a thought. Even in the thoughts that we give energy to. So, so. If, we want, if we want to see a certain outcome and we bring it to our mind clearly and then let it go, oftentimes that will materialize later on. I grew up with um, a fair amount of fatalism. It's another long-view philosophy. And it was in the religion, um, this idea that there's election and predestination, so Mm -hmm. your name is already written in the Book of Life or it's not. And this is Calvinism, kind of pure, straight-up Calvinism, And um, if you were saved, there would be some kind of sign. And uh, if you weren't, oh well. So again, one can be led to the idea that it doesn't matter what we do that wasn't the teaching either. You're supposed to be good anyway, just in case. (laughs) (laughs) Very dark, (laughs) though. Very dark. Um, And another, this is another one that I've been exposed to somewhat, and I don't know, maybe you have too, is ethical subjectivism. So this is more like, well... If you think it's wrong, then it's wrong for you to do. But if I don't think it's wrong, it's okay if I do it. Like, if you think it's wrong to cheat on your taxes, then you should not cheat on your taxes. But for me, I think it's fine. (laughs) 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 I think someone actually said that to me once. (laughs) 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 And it's very confusing But the Buddha's knowledge, experience, said that these laws of karma, these these laws of cause and effect, are immutable. They are in accordance with nature. They don't change. They're objective. They're not subjective. It's not about who... Um, as I said before, the first four precepts, there's, a, there's a, an unwholesome or bad result that gets put into motion. What happens to it is not sure. So, uh, not only is it comforting, sometimes, sometimes when I read about some of these descriptions, the, the text can go off into the harmful effects of believing these things, which... That's one thing, but let's just look at the reality that it just doesn't work that way. It's a confused Mm -hmm. notion, Um, not in alignment with the way things actually are. So the Buddha made it clear that there's um, this distinction between good and bad, right and wrong, wholesome and unwholesome, is in accord with an invariable cosmic law of truth and righteousness and that there's no divine judge that the results of the actions are intrinsic to the actions themselves and of course the intentions behind it, the effort that goes into it Um, the other Causes and conditions that affect it. So it makes it incalculable. You can't say, oh, this is going to be exactly what happens. But it is also a certainty that when it's unwholesome, it leads to unwholesome results, and when it's wholesome, it leads to wholesome results. I hope that distinction makes sense. So... um, there's another church church sign I want to tell you about. Yeah. Just love everyone. I'll sort them out later. Mm-hmm. Signed God. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but karma will sort them out later. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just love everyone. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good motto. <laughs> And then Bhikkhu Bodhi wrote, an entire society may be predicated upon a confusion of correct moral values. And even though everyone within that society may applaud one kind of action as right and condemn another kind as wrong, this does not make them validly right or wrong. And we can probably think of a few things that fall into this category. And, and one of them, not that everybody agrees, but I've seen some pretty broad sec- sections or sectors of society agree on um, racism, for example. The Buddha was very clear that the value of a human being or the potential of a human being is not based on caste or class or gender or wealth or skin color what it's based on is their actions mm-hmm. and he talked about that m- in many times because in every culture there are those who are trying to set themselves above others and so that's one of the ways that um wrong view can, can be part of a whole society. The, the view that making money is more important than everything else is mm-hmm. another one that well, many of us probably don't agree with. <laughs> um, but there are probably other things that are even more difficult to identify that can be promoted in, our, in a whole society that are somewhat confused. So I think it's good to reflect on what do, what do I really believe? What do I really do? And why? Is it in accord with Dhamma? And again, how do we know? Well, we study and we try things out, and we see if it goes in a good direction, and we align ourselves and spend time with wise friends. And over time, doing the practice should make us happier. And if it doesn't, it's good to investigate that. And it's not just happiness either, is it? It's also stability and resilience. forward to when you're going to ask questions later. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want you to do that right now. (laughs) I'm going to talk a little bit about super mundane right view, and then we'll meditate. In the Sangyuta Nikaya, there's a passage where the Buddha says, What is right view? Knowledge of suffering. Knowledge of the origin of suffering. Knowledge of the cessation of suffering. Knowledge of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. This is right view. So you're probably pretty familiar with that formula. He also said, this is the forerunner and precursor of the rising of the sun. It's the dawn. So too, for a monk, or maybe any of us, for any of us practitioners, this is the forerunner and precursor of the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths, as they really are. This is right view. It is to be expected that a practitioner with right view will understand, as it really is, this is suffering, this is the origin of suffering, this is the cessation of suffering, this is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. Therefore, he said, make an exertion to understand these noble truths. Make an exertion to understand and develop right view so of course um, the first three noble truths are something we can reflect on and work with anytime we feel suffering, stress Comfort, annoyance, dissatisfaction. That gives us a few opportunities. (laughs) 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 And being uh, able to look at that feeling, experience, and investigate its cause. It's wise not to jump to, well, it's attachment. What is, but that often doesn't shake us loose. It doesn't necessarily give us the key to how to help it cease. But what can give us the key is a deeper look at what exactly is it that I want to have be different than it is. And when I want something to be different than it is, what am I clinging to? What is it that I feel is missing or lacking? What is it that I would want to have happen that's not happening? How would that make me feel? And in that investigation of what is it that I want to have come in is it I want to feel loved I want to feel safe what is it that's the clue to what we feel is missing and then looking at the bigger picture stepping back taking up the actually truth It is that there is no lack of that. That love, that safety, that whatever. And bringing that into one's awareness. um, Filling ourselves with that. So... If we feel like we want someone to act differently than they do towards us, what are we looking for? What are we wishing was there? One way to look at it is if they did exactly what I want them to do, if they said exactly what I want them to say, how would it feel? Then you can play it out and see, would you really feel better? Would this longing be over? Would that be the end of it? And if not, then what is it that I want from the world, the universe, life? And if it is something like, I want to feel respect, I want to feel safe, I want to feel peace, Then take under uh, kind of a, pick up a hypothesis that says there's an abundance of peace, there's an unlimited amount of peace or love, and allow yourself to really feel that. Does that make sense? Mm hmm. And it actually works. And, you know, like the Brahma-viharas, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka, we practice those, we get a sense of how to develop these boundless qualities. How to tap into the unlimited abundance of these qualities. Now, this is hard if a person is scrambling for the basic requisites to live. Most of us are not in that situation, usually, here. Um, The Buddha, when people would come, um, my understanding is he would, you know, if they're hungry, first they get fed. But even, we have many examples of practitioners, even if they're not able to get the requisites, they still can tap into the spiritual abundance that's always there. All those qualities of heart that really causes so much more suffering than the material things of life. When we feel like we're in need of those... It's a little off the conventional track, but I think think this makes sense. This This is how I experience it. So those first three noble truths, to be able to practice in a way that you actually can move from, you know, anger, resentment, pain, you know, emotional pain, being hurt, sad, to the cessation of those that experience and it is through the cultivation of the Noble Eightfold Path that we develop the skills and live in a way that we're creating the causes and conditions to be able to get better and better at doing that transforming transmuting transcending suffering we always have to give the disclaimer this is not about suppression of what we feel that doesn't work at all mm-hmm. it just comes out in funny ways later and the Buddha already said indulging in stuff doesn't help so we can't just let it run wild either it's that middle middle ground I'm going to read one passage, and then we're going to meditate. Or what would you rather do after this, walk or sit? Uh, Walk. Yeah, that sounds Mm -hmm. right. Okay, so after I read this, we'll walk. This is um, from the Sanyuta Nikaya. Book 12. Number 15, Kachanagata. At Savati, then the Venerable Kachanagata approached the Blessed One, paid homage to him, sat down to one side, and said to him, Venerable Sir, it is said, right view, right view. In what way, Venerable Sir, is there right view? This world, Kachana, for the most part, depends upon duality, upon the notion of existence and the notion of non-existence. But for one who sees the origin of the world as it really is with correct wisdom, there's no notion of non-existence in regard to the world. And for one who sees the cessation of the world as it really is with correct wisdom, there's no notion of existence in regard to the world. This world, Kachana, is for the most part shackled by engagement, clinging, and adherence. But this one with right view does not become engaged and clinging. Through that engagement and clinging, the mental standpoint or adherence, underlying tendency, he does not take a stand about myself. He has no perplexity or doubt that what arises is only suffering arising. What ceases is only suffering ceasing. His knowledge about this is independent of others. It is in this way, kachana, that there is right view. All exists, kachana, this is one extreme. All does not exist, this is the second extreme. Without veering towards either of these extremes, the Tathagata teaches the Dhamma by the middle. With ignorance as condition, volitional formations come to be. With volitional formations as condition, consciousness. With consciousness as condition, name and form. With name and form as condition, the six sense bases. With the six sense bases as condition, contact. With contact as condition, feeling. With feeling as condition, Craving, with craving as condition, clinging. With clinging as condition, existence. With existence as condition, birth. With birth as condition, aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, displeasure, and despair come to be. Such is the origin of this whole mass of suffering. But with the remainderless fading away and cessation of ignorance comes cessation of volitional formations. With cessation of volitional formations, cessation of consciousness. With the cessation of consciousness, cessation of name and form. With the cessation of name and form, cessation of the six sense bases with the cessation of the six sense basis cessation of contact with the cessation of contact cessation of feeling with the cessation of feeling cessation of craving with the cessation of craving cessation of clinging with the cessation of clinging cessation of existence with the cessation of existence cessation of birth With the cessation of birth, aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, displeasure and despair, cease. This is the cessation of this whole mass of suffering. Let's do some walking meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.